This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Even with this unpredictable Mississippi weather now, there are the charming bioluminescent creatures lighting up the night sky. No matter if you call them lightning bugs or fireflies, people are reported seeing them all around the state. So today we talk with author Lynn Faust. She wrote the book Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs. So we'll talk about what's happening with these bugs this time of year. And as always, we want to hear your current nature encounters or pet questions for Dr. Major. Join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday mornings, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. All right, so good morning, uh, Libby. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. So uh, you usually uh, let us know about uh, the birds that you're seeing in your yard, and uh, sometimes we can even hear them uh, through the radio. But today we're talking about fireflies. You've spotted, uh, started to spot these at night? Yes, yes. We've uh, started uh, taking a, a night walk, and uh, our sinks have just now started. They're about a week late from when they usually are, so there, I didn't see any synchrony last night. But a few of the flashes that we recognized as being, you know, we call them snappy sinks because they flash pretty fast and uh, tend to be kind of low to the ground. And we saw about four of them last night and they were all kind of flying around looking for each other. And um, I didn't stay out late enough to see if they found each other eventually last night. But uh, their numbers will be growing. Of course, that's here in middle Mississippi. We know their emergence is very much tied to um, how warm the weather is, and it's kind of accumulative. Um, Lynn's got all the science behind it, but um, when the, uh, the warmer the days build up, they start emerging. So uh, we'd love to hear from people along the coast in the southern parts of Mississippi who may be already seeing the synchronized fireflies. But right now we have a lot of the treetop flashers and what we call slow glows, those that do a really strange, the light kind of builds and then they get bright and then it kind of uh, dims down. And so it's it's not a, a sharp blink like most of the fireflies. And then those treetop flashers that are um, so common, we see a lot up in the tops of the trees, and they have a really bright flash, so they're great. But we saw an unusual thing. This, uh, actually, I don't think it's unusual, but it goes unnoticed. Uh, you know, there are a few diurnal fireflies that actually don't have a lantern anymore, have very little of a lantern, and so they fly around in the day. And there's one uh, we. Um, Again, I think Lynn named them when she wrote the book because they didn't have a common name, and she calls them the Woodland Lucies. Their scientific name is Lucidota atra, and uh, they're a pretty good-sized, um, well, I guess not, three-quarters of an inch maybe, a black bug with um, some pretty yellow right on the head, and they have big, flat antenna. The males tend to be a little smaller than the females, and they communicate with each other, not with a flash, but with perfume. 
So pheromones. And uh, Paul caught one while we were walking, and we were pretty sure that's what it was. And when he uh, sat down on the porch and uh, to take a picture because we we're going to send it to Lynn to be sure. And he smelled it immediately, and then I could smell it too. So it is a pheromone that we can actually smell, uh, you know, kind of similar to a scent maybe from a tree or a flower. And then the second one came and lit right on his hand with the first one. So they're out in enough numbers that they found each other immediately. And uh, so I guess that second one was probably the male, but we were pretty excited about that. And then Lynn confirmed that, yes, that was indeed a Woodland Lucy. So that's a firefly that people can see in the day, but you don't get the the awesome of the bleak. So maybe not quite as much fun. Well, that's pretty awesome that uh, that the pheromone must work really well if you you know you had him in your hand and, and the mate came flying up that quickly so that's uh, interesting because yeah it was just kind of oh my gosh this is too good to be true <laughs> my thought would be that it would the light would be easier because of the you know wind and that sort of thing that the pheromone would sort of drip but like I say obviously that it, it does its job so that's good to see uh, that those fireflies are connecting like they should. I guess, yeah, it's a one. Nature tries every way possible, and so they're trying all different ways in this one group of insects. Uh, Dr. Major has joined us on the phone uh, this morning. So, Dr. Major, you know, uh, it's getting to the time of year where mosquitoes can be a, a bother to humans. Uh, what about our pets? Do our cats and dogs and other pets uh, suffer from mosquito bites a lot? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we see a lot uh, almost year-round here in Mississippi, but, uh, you know, this is truly getting it's so damp and so ideal breeding places for mosquitoes uh, going on. And uh, our dogs, of course, you have uh, spread of heartworm disease by, by mosquitoes. And uh, in certain areas where they're so intense, uh, you can actually, they can actually call anemia cause anemia, and some cats develop a severe reaction to uh, mosquitoes as well, uh, usually lesions around their head uh, in that situation. But, yes, they do cause a problem. Uh, would the common uh, things that we treat our pets with for, for fleas and ticks have any effect on the mosquitoes? There's some of the topicals that do. Uh, the Advantix uh, may repel and kill mosquitoes that light on them. Vectra uh, is one of those as well that uh, will literally uh, repel and kill mosquitoes. So there are some available that will do that. Uh, there may be others other than what I said, but those are two that uh, certainly uh, can help. And, and uh, you know, I think mosquito control in your environment as far as trying to make sure you have no empty, like, old tires or pots or this sort of thing sitting around which uh, collect water and provide uh, absolutely great breeding places for mosquitoes. Yeah, that's a good reminder. We've uh, talked about that before, that uh, that is a way that mosquitoes and breed. And with all the rain that we've been having, probably not a bad idea to every once in a while go out through your maybe your backyard or whatever and make sure you don't have any something that container or something that uh, pulled that water because we certainly want to try to keep the mosquito population down. So. Right, and Libby may have some uh, comments about some of the uh, mosquito control. It's quite popular uh, in, you know, in our area, uh, the mosquito squad or whatever 
different types of things that are sprayed for mosquitoes, and I, I wonder about the effect on other uh, creatures as well. So, Libby, any yeah. thought on that? Yeah, that's true, Tori, and I think Tori and I both talked about that. When you broadly use any kind of a poison, then you can't control what you're killing with it, and you may broadly try to kill mosquitoes, and some people even spray things during the day, and you're not going to kill as many mosquitoes that way, and you're going to kill all kinds of stuff. A butterfly will die by any of the same things that would kill a mosquito, so I think it's better to to find where they're breeding and get rid of that water, and also to put um, you know anything protective on yourself, whether you use DEET or whether you use some kind of a natural protection from mosquitoes. But that's a better way to do it if you can do that. And um, the effectiveness that um, that any of those other things provide is very minimal. Uh, studies have shown that it's just very hard to kill mosquitoes in mass in the environment. It's it's pretty much got to be done by an individual person, you know, wearing whatever protective kind of chemical or uh, device they want. Uh, you know, a lot of people use those head nets now. I don't know if you've seen those. They make a really fine mesh little net that just goes over your hat or even over your head. And it, it keeps out the little bitty gnats, too. And, you know, those things are, to me, they're worse than the mosquitoes lately. So um, it's an ongoing problem in Mississippi, though, isn't it? Libby, you you took the words right out of my mouth because those gnats, to me, are, are I don't seem that they bite as much, but the way they buzz around your head and everything. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was playing tennis with some friends, and they were just they were just after me. I don't understand. Uh, I had some new glasses on, so we were speculating that somehow the gnats like the, the color of my glasses. <laughs> they like your new glasses. <laughs> yeah, you know, every now and then, though, when they do bite, it, to me it is much more painful than a mosquito. Not right at first, but later I got like two bit me on the ear, and my ear was swollen up for three days. It's uh, So the gnats are a problem. Uh, let's get one phone call. Go ahead, Dr. Major. Kevin, you know that uh, there are diseases spread by the mosquitoes that uh, affect humans especially, and uh, the cities do have some fogging effects. You know, they usually fog late in the afternoon or at night, but uh, sometimes I wonder about the efficacy of that as well. Yeah. Anyway, excuse me. No, that's yeah. fine. And, and, and like we said, probably a good idea to just check your yard uh, throughout the summer to make sure you're not having any pooled water. Uh, that's a real breeding ground for those. Uh, that's a, a good thing to keep on top of to try to keep the mosquito population uh, in, in control as much as we can. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and uh, take one call before our first break. We'll talk to our friend Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I, I want to ask y'all a question. I keep reading and hearing about the 17-year cicada. Is that my pronouncing that right? Cicadas that are supposed to... Cicada. Yeah. Thank you. And I haven't heard any yet. Do you know when they might be uh, coming through or waking up or whatever? Haven't heard one yet. Yeah. Unfortunately, that big brood, what is it, brood X, that is going to hatch over a good bit of the eastern United States is just north of us. So uh, Mississippi is probably not going to see those cicadas now we have an annual cicada that comes out every year and those will come out but they don't come out in the giant mass you remember i think it was 2015 when we had 
uh, an emergence. Oh, and another kind of little interesting thing, uh, most parts of the country, the cicadas emerge every 17 years, but in the Deep South, it's usually every 13 years. They're, they're not as synchronized as you might suppose, but as um, exact they don't keep up with the days on the calendar, I guess. But but about every 13 years, uh, the cicadas in Mississippi come out. And this is not one of those big years for us. But uh, just north of us, they're going to have that 17-year eruption that's supposed to be a really big one. So I guess we'll have to travel if we want to see those. A friend of mine sent me a hilarious picture, I guess it's okay to say, on the radio of – I mean on the um, – in an email, it's a little video of her granddaughter who is eight months old, and she's showing her a cicada, and the little child immediately, of course, what do eight months, she pops it in her mouth. <laughs> and it's just hilarious because the child has a big smile on her face, like, this is a fun thing, while the grandmother um, in the video is still going while she's saying, no, no. So it, anyway, it was pretty cute. And uh, they are edible, and so it's uh, no danger if your child pops one in its mouth. And I've been told that some dogs like to eat them, and that, of course, a lot of birds, the bigger birds, just chow down on them. But our birds are not going to get that treat this year of the giant emergence. All right, Sue, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts, and it's time for our first break. When we return, we'll talk with our guest, Lynn Faust. Not a stranger to the show, she'll talk about her book, Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, and break down the species being seen uh, in this late spring, early summer time. So stay tuned. To join the conversation and give us a call, the number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. We're back on Creature Comforts, and I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, Lynn Faust, who's the author of the book Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, Identification and Natural History of the Fireflies of the Eastern and Central U.S. and Canada. If you've seen lightning bugs in your area and have a question, or maybe you've got a pet question for Dr. Major, give us a call. We've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Lynn, thanks for joining us on the show again. Uh, Libby's talked about some of the fireflies she's begun to see here in Mississippi. Uh, what can uh, other people expect to see uh, this time of year in the Magnolia State? Well, there's a lot that's already happened. I want to say hello to everybody and good to hear everybody's voices. I'm I'm up here in East Tennessee. Um, I I just quickly, while you all were talking, jotted down, you've got at least eight species already active in Mississippi, and surprisingly, several species have already done their thing for the year and disappeared. Um, and by doing their thing, that means they found a mate, they mated, they laid eggs, and they died. 
And uh, But you're going into your busiest time of year uh, from this point on. And as Libby said, uh, the Hartfields and Sharp-Eyed Tom Mann both saw the first snappy sinks last night starting to come out. And, of course, they'll come out a few at a time, and then when it warms up, they'll really come out. So that'll probably be next week. And so have everybody looking around outside in the dark. Uh, the snappies are the most fun because they're synchronized, and when they are in high density, it's an unbelievable sight. They all flash together about once a second, fairly low to the ground. But there's also things up in the treetops, as Libby mentioned, and um, so that's probably more than you want to know. Generally, the state of Mississippi has a minimum of 26 different species wow. uh, throughout the year. So you've got a lot of things to look for, but you've got to get in the dark, and you've got to get in fairly good habitat, and don't use a bright light or you won't see a thing. Uh, you need to stand there in the dark and let your eyes dark adapt. We've got a phone call on the line. Let's say good morning to our friend John in Jackson. You're on the air with us. John, go ahead. Hello there. Well, I've always enjoyed the, shall we call it, sinister aspects of nature, which <laughs> seems more an Alfred Hitchcock than a Walt Disney production to me. Could you come out on the somewhat, to me, sinister and wicked behavior of some female fireflies towards the males. Well, I sure can. In fact, Libby mentioned some of the uh, sinister ones, as you call them, are already active. They're in the Futurus genus. And in that genus, they're big, fast fireflies compared to the little, you know, the other ones. And the females are able to mimic or copy the flash of all the other fireflies. And the reason they do it, they're trying to lure in the lovesick males of other species who think they're going to mate, and when they land, instead she grabs them and eats them. And so you are correct. It's very sinister. And, you know, life is tough, whether you're a human or a firefly or a cicada or a mosquito. (laughs) And um, and so that is a good question. And this has only been observed in the Western Hemisphere. The Futurist genus is in both South America, Central America, and North America. And we think it's a driving force of the evolution of the Western Hemisphere fireflies because they really have to always worry about is that flash the lady I want to breed with or is that flash going to eat me? And so they're all very cautious. It has not been reported from the Asian fireflies yet. So it, anyway, but you are right, and that's going on already up in your treetops and woods in Mississippi. And there's, there's a number of different species in that genus. All right, John, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be visiting throughout the hour with our guest, Lynn Faust, about uh, fireflies, uh, lightning bugs, you might call them. Um, and so we've got some open phone lines. If you want to call in, it's one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And as you said, Lynn, boy, what a choice that is for those male fireflies. It's kind of like uh, the best of times, the worst of times there for sure. Yeah, it's a really amazing thing to watch it happen in nature. And they're very careful, and they have. 
different adaptations to survive that. Um, but a lot of them die in the jaws of a big, lovely female firefly. Hmm. Uh, earlier when Sue called about the cicadas, uh, we are smack dab in the middle of the emergence of brood 10 right now, so we're real excited up here. Uh, but Mississippi um, is brood 19, and that's going to come out in 2024. So I thought if Sue's still listening, uh, keep your eyes peeled in 2024, and Mississippi will have their brood All right. come out. Uh, talk to us about how you first got interested in fireflies. Oh, gosh. That's a long story. Like any southern girl, I grew up in East Tennessee, um, and I just grew up with lightning bugs is what we call them. Really, I was almost 40 before I heard the term firefly. Uh, and, and so I always enjoyed chasing them in the yard and all that. But uh, we had a cabin in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I, you know, I could go on for hours with how I got into it, and I'm not going to. But the cabin in the Smokies, which is about 2,500 feet elevation, 2,300, uh, has a particular species of firefly up there that we don't have in the valley below. And we had always enjoyed, we called it the light show, and they also are synchronous, but they are a different synchronous than what Mississippi has. And uh, it's hard to believe that there are different types of synchrony, but there are. And um, and so I, I, that sucked me into the world of research and science because of that species up there. Uh, the park took our cabin. Our 100-year-old community had to leave in 1992. And, you know, when you're, when you're losing something you love, whether it's a person or a place or whatever, you start paying more attention there at the end. And we realized by losing our cabin, not only were we losing, you know, 100 years of a place we loved, but um, we weren't going to be able to see these fireflies again because they weren't down in the valley. They were not at our house, even though we have plenty of lightning bugs down in the valley. And so that led me into contacting some scientists, and I worked with that group for the next 18 years. And then... Um, once they started retiring, I, I work with different research groups every year. So I'm 30 years into a complete uh, lightning bug obsession now. <laughs> yeah. So it started in the Smokies, and it, so it's really fun. We have the snappy sinks that Mississippi has. We have them here in East Tennessee also, but not the numbers and the density that I have seen around the Jackson area and south of there, well, and north of there. I mean, uh Libby and Paul keep a map of where people have reported them, but it is really something to put on your bucket list to see your own Mississippi synchronous fireflies. They flash very quickly once a second, and in perfect unison once they reach a critical mass hmm. of numbers. So it, it's really beautiful. So can we use the term firefly and lightning bug interchangeably? Yes, you can. It's more of a regional difference of you know, whatever you called them when you were growing up. It used to be fairly clear-cut. Basically, northern was firefly, southern was lightning bug. But now lightning bugs have kind of become a sexy sort of uh, groovy insect, and it's online, and there's lots written about them. And normally they are called fireflies in the literature. So I'm now hearing East Tennessee children call them fireflies, and that makes me a little bit sad 
Um, but I find I also use that term. It's one less syllable than lightning bug, which takes a while to say. And when I'm giving a talk, I may say the word 200 times. So I have reverted. I mean, I feel like I've jumped ship, but uh, either one works now. Either one works. But uh, encourage your kids to keep saying lightning bug. <laughs> I like that one better. Um, so what kind of bug is a lightning bug? It is a beetle. It's not a true bug, and it's not a fly. It's in the beetle family, meaning it has hard outer wing coverings. You know, if you pick one up, the little black wings on the back, those aren't actually wings. Those are the coverings to the wings. And that makes it, that puts it into the beetle family. And um, and so spraying for mosquitoes concerns me, too. It, it, it affects so many things other than mosquitoes, that widespread spraying. Just my little plug on that, because it affects everything. But um, to, to qualify to be a lightning bug in a very general sense, you have to be able to glow as a larva. That's like a baby lightning bug when it looks kind of like a worm in the ground. They all glow, even if as adults they don't have a lantern, they do glow as larvae. And, um, and then they have the hard wings, and they can pull their head in under their head shield on the front. So there's a couple of simple things. There's a lot of other insects out there that kind of look like a lightning bug, and I get calls and emails and pictures every year from people. Um, but there are a lot of mimics. Things try to copy a lightning bug because a lightning bug is filled with uh, noxious, poisonous chemicals, and that's why all the birds don't eat them. And, uh, and so it helps protect them to survive. It's, it's also why the, the scary female for tourists, the predatory ones, eat the other fireflies to get the same protective chemicals that they don't make. And uh, so there's a lot of insects that look almost like a firefly that aren't. Well, and it's also good to hear she does it for a reason and not just out of spite. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, she's, she's doing it. She's doing it for her babies. Maybe this will make John feel better about her. She, um, she gets those chemicals and incorporates them into her eggs, which gives some protection to the eggs when she lays them that things won't eat them. So it's really a grand kind of cycle of eat or be eaten, basically. That's, that's what it is. But, no, she's not just mean, although sometimes she looks mean if you're watching it happen. But, uh, <laughs> this is Creature Comforts, and we're visiting with author Lynn Faust, uh, author of the book Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs. It's time for another break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. We've got some uh, open phone lines, though. If you'd like to join in with a question or a comment or to report a firefly sighting that you've had, the number to call is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. Dr. Major's ready for pet questions as well. 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our guest for the hour is author Lynn Faust. 
If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you get all episodes of the program at your disposal. Just use your favorite podcast app and search for Creature Comforts. You can also download our MPB Public Media app for access to all Think Radio programs. To draw on our conversation this morning, and we do have some open phone lines, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can always email the show. Just send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Before we jump back into conversation with Lynn, we have another caller on the line. Our friend Roger has called in from Florence. Good morning, Roger. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. What a wonderful program. Uh, your your expert there has shed a lot of light on things. I never knew there were more than two or three kinds of fireflies. Down here at Green Hope, just south of Florence, uh, I've noticed going out in the woods, it'll be a little later this summer, I think, but the synchronous kind, whatever we have here, it's very interesting if you sit still and you see them, oh, three feet off the ground or so, some brave ones up high, lonesome ones, but the ones down at the bottom are calling those those uh, those daring creatures to come back down and fly with them. And if you blink your eyes at the same rhythm, you can you can you can open your eyes and see nothing, and then open your eyes again and see nothing, or you can change and open your eyes and see fireflies. Close your eyes, open your eyes again, and it's as Whoop, Roger dropped off there. So, oh, Roger. <laughs> uh, b- being one with the fireflies, though, that uh, sounds like a lot of fun. And that that uh, do, do could are, is the synchronicity of the of the flashing something that we could maybe uh, sync our eye blinks with, or is it too quick? Yeah, uh, that's interesting that Roger brought that up. I've never tried it, but by golly, I'm going to this year. It is, uh, yes, the Mississippi snappy sinks are so regular and so predictable. Um, that would definitely be possible, and it sounds like he's seeing the particular snappy sink species because most of the species are not that predictable, you know. But these really are. You can time them, and I guess you'd have to really open and close your eyes fast, particularly if it's hot. All, all fireflies speed up. The hotter it gets, um, they flash that much faster, and it's kind of amazing. Their females understand that that is still the correct flash they want to answer to. Um, I do want to throw out to, um, to Roger and everybody else listening, what you're seeing are males. When you're seeing these beautiful displays up in the treetops or down in the woods, um, you are primarily seeing just the males. The females are usually kind of hidden, and they're choosy. They don't want just any male landing and mating them. And so they will actually answer specific males with their own little flash that's hard to see. And uh, so they're, they're looking for sort of the biggest, brightest, the fastest, whatever. And um, so just when you're seeing a beautiful display of hundreds, you are seeing all males who are kind of, flexing their muscles, hoping to be noticed by their females. Uh, so, Lynn, your book's called Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, and I think you might have touched on this, but a, a glowworm, is that an immature lightning bug? Well, I actually cover that in the book. There are kind of a lot of things that go by the name glowworm, so it can really be confusing to people. 
Um, in, in Europe, they have a lot of their fireflies don't even have wings, and they're generally called glowworms. But over here in the U.S., we have both winged female species and, and uh, species with no wings. So sometimes you call the adults glowworms if they're sitting there glowing. But mainly in the U.S., in the southern U.S., it refers to the larval form. That's like the, the child form of a firefly, which is that worm-like form in the soil. And they glow. And so that is normally what we're referring to. There's also a big thing called a railroad worm, and it's cool. And, and I know you have them. I've seen them at Libby's place and elsewhere in Mississippi. And they're the size of your pinky finger, and the females have no wings, and they look like a big grub, but they glow from every segment of their body and look like a train at night, the windows of a train at night, and that's why they're called railroad worms. And they are also called glowworms. So you, whenever you're talking about glowworms to your friends, you know, and I'm sure all of you talk about glowworms all the time to each other, but do specify, you know, you do want to specify just which glowworm. And there's also, and I'm dealing with a research project right now, uh, these uh, cave glowworms, and they're not even fireflies at all. They're actually in the fly fungus gnat. Um, family. So I'm doing a study on those tonight up on the Cumberland Plateau. So they're also called glowworms. So um, it can be a confusing term, but basically if it glows and it looks like a worm, then it's going to be something interesting that you might want to look at closer. But this, it could be a fly, could be a beetle, could be a Fingotes railroad worm. This is Creature Comforts <laughs> on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you have a question for our guest, author Lynn Faust. We're talking about lightning bugs today. Give us a call to join the conversation. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Dr. Major, still on the line, ready for your pet question as well. So, and I think you mentioned 20-plus uh, species of fireflies in Mississippi. Is each one have a distinctive uh, flash to, to them? Yeah, that's a great question, and the answer is yes. It's like each one has a Morse code that it flashes out, I'm a big, beautiful male, answer me, and I'm the correct species. And so you really can learn the various flashes, and, and if you get pretty good, particularly with the ones in your yard or ones you see often, you can learn to recognize them simply by their flash. And, um, and so each species does vary, but throwing back in... Um, of the horrifying one that John mentioned, except the Futurist females can copy all of them. And so that always throws an element of uh, confusion in. But generally, if you see 100 males flashing once every four seconds, um, they're all the same thing. They're all the same species. So, yes, you do. And of the I, – I jotted down 26 species at least that you have. I was, I was just looking at that. Um, maybe a third of them or a fourth are diurnal. As Libby said, that means day active, meaning they have lost their lanterns. So they look like a lightning bug, and they kind of act like a lightning bug, but they do not flash at night. They do their thing during the day. So when I say 26 species, you might not have that many, each given their own flash, but you have at least 20 of them that flash. Um, and they'll do different times of night. Each species 
if, if you like wildflowers, it's similar to that. Each species has its own specific habitat and its own time of year that it comes out. When I, earlier I said some have already gone for the season. Some come out in, in March and April, and then they're gone by May. And they also have the time of night. Some come out at sunset, and they're finished by dark, where others do not begin to flash until dark. And so if you're looking at the snappies in the woods, which fly down low, they're, they're generally below your head level, and if you see things flashing differently up in the trees, you're actually witnessing two different species in two different areas of the space at the same time. And on a, on a good night in Tennessee, and I think Mississippi's exactly the same, on a good night, the end of May, which is probably middle end of May is probably your biggest time of year, you may have seven different species flashing in the same area at the same time. But the females can tell their males. The females know who to answer to. So that's sort of reassuring in the world's nature. <laughs> we have, we've got a caller on the line with a question for Dr. Major. So let's say good morning to Brandon in Pontotoc. Brandon, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Oh, good morning. This is a really good show. I'm enjoying it. Um, I have a, uh, a mixed uh, pit Dalmatian that I got from the Humane Society about 10 years ago. And uh, so she's a little older. And um, lately I've noticed over the past week or so that she's trying to, to urinate, and um, she doesn't seem to be able to. And she continues to try like once or twice every few minutes. Um, and I'm not really sure what I need to uh, try to do. Um, she's never had this problem before. Really, that, that is something that does happen, and it's a great question. Uh, I would be concerned about a possibility of bladder stones. Uh, that certainly could be a possible uh, issue. They can make stones that can be quite large. Uh, usually that occur, they occur in the bladder rather than the kidney, but they are very similar. And they can actually block uh, the urethra as they try to urinate, that's a possibility. And you hate to say it, but it's also possible it could be cancer. There's got to be some reason for that, and you do need to get her into your vet and see what can be found out. Um, they'll okay. want to take a urine sample, possibly an X-ray, but this is something that needs to be attended to. I appreciate your uh, question. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good day, y'all. All right. Thanks for the call, Brandon. Uh, before our next break, Lynn, I'm curious, is the the tint or the shade of the light all the same on all the different lightning bugs or might it be more some maybe more yellowish that sort of thing uh that's another great question and the answer is yes the colors do vary um but the problem is the older your eyes are um and i'm referring to myself here uh the less you will see that difference but with each, I keep talking about the genus or the genera of fireflies. There's different groups of fireflies. The predatory ones, the, the big scary females, I call them, they are green, and they flash green usually always. There's always some exceptions. Where the little happy ones that you ran around barefoot at sunset catching when you were a child, the big dippers, they are yellow. And we even have one that does an orangish flash, the paractamina. Um and so you generally can kind of, if, if you're a 12-year-old, you can see the difference quite easily if it's close to you. 
when you will see green, yellow, or orange are the main colors you'll see. But it's that's a lot easier said than done in the wild if they're up in a tree. And if you're 66, they'll all, you'll just be happy that you can see anything, and you'll <laughs> sort of see a flash. But, yes, the colors do um, sort of loosely tell you what group of fireflies you're looking at. This is Creature Comforts. Time for our last break of the hour. We have been talking throughout the hour with our guest, Lynn Faust. She's the author of the book Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, Identification and Natural History of the Fireflies of the Eastern and Central United States and Canada. And we're back to wrap things up with Lynn after this break. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest for today, author Lynn Faust. Still time to join the conversation if you quickly give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can always email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. Lynn, do we understand how the fireflies or the lightning bugs actually make themselves luminescent? Well, it gets into all that high school chemistry, which will make your hair curl. But it is a, a chemical reaction, and they have uh, different specific chemicals they are born with. And, again, the larvae glow. So they're able to make this reaction, and the, the pattern that each male gives seems to be genetic. I mean, they know how to do their male courtship pattern even if they've never seen another firefly. So it's all kind of amazing. It's wired into them, and it, uh, it's luciferin and luciferase are the two components that are very important that are found in lots of glowing things. And then they add oxygen and ATP and nitric oxide, and then it, it gets too chemical. But they're born knowing how to do it, and it's inside their bodies. And uh, so it's really pretty miraculous. So as we talk about the, uh, the, the, the lightning bugs that are active at night, what do they do during the day? They kind of hide. You'll, you'll be amazed if you're lucky enough to see um, a big display of the snappy things, which there's uh, walks given. Libby can tell you exactly where and all that. Um, if, if you see that, you would think you could walk during the day and see hundreds of them sitting on leaves and kind of hanging out you really find very few during the day. And so they hide themselves under leaves or up in the bark of trees because they don't want to be eaten. They don't want anything to get them. And uh, they're, they're very difficult to find during the day, but they're just sort of resting somewhere out of sight. Uh, so, Libby, I know that you and Paul have sort of started a citizen science project uh, documenting the distribution of fireflies uh, throughout Mississippi, and I think some of our Creature Comfort listeners uh, uh, have helped. Uh, do you have an update? Uh, how are the firefly sightings going? Yeah, I think we have about 15 sightings now from di- from 15 different counties that have have given us information, but um, I feel like we could probably get a lot more. So if anybody's listening that has seen fireflies, particularly the synchronous ones, if they will let us know, um, we'll we'll post their stuff on the calendar. Now, Claire Graves, you remember Claire got involved with us, I guess, two years ago, and she's doing a book by hearing this on the radio, 
And so she's uh, a tremendous asset. She's learned a lot about fireflies, and she's going around the state finding populations. And she has uh, worked out a cooperative with the Craftsman's Guild and Natchez Trace. So last year was the first time she did a snappy sink soiree, kind of a, a party, um, out at the, the um, Craftsman's Guild, and they're going to be doing another one. They had planned it for this weekend, but they're in the process of changing 400 reservations to the following weekend. So May the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, and she still has some slots. Uh, you do need to call to reserve a time because if everybody shows up at once, it's very hard to see the fireflies. And where we're looking is pretty small area behind the craft center. You remember the craft center is on Rice Road, but it's they're parallel to um, Natchez Trace. And so the Natchez Trace people are involved too. Uh, it's the land behind the craft center, right on the edge of the Natchez Trace, but they've got a nice big safe parking lot to park in with minimal lighting at the craft center. So uh, you can go online, the, craft, uh, the Mississippi Craftsman's Guild, and uh, get a ticket to um, see those fireflies. And it's really cool. There are a lot of them out there, but not yet. So uh, or I say there, were, there have been a lot of them out there for the last two or three years. So I imagine there will be uh, again next weekend. So not this coming weekend, but the following one. And then uh, on, I think, May the 20th, Paul and I are going to be doing a walk at the Clinton Nature Center because they have a good population there as well. And, you know, this is one of the things we would like to find all over the state, some places that are um, have good populations and are on public lands so that we can invite people to come see them. So if any of our listeners, listeners know of places where they're seeing these fireflies, it really would be great if you could let us know. Now, Waldoxie State Park was the first place that mm -hmm. they were found in Mississippi. And uh, that, Jeff Davis was a ranger there at that time. I think that was 2011 that some of the campers called him. He thought there had been an accident or something, in the, <laughs> you know, late at night. And, yeah, they kept saying, you've got to come, you've got to come right now. And they, you know, they thought maybe they were seeing an alien invasion. They didn't know what they were seeing because they had such a good population. They said the whole woods was just throbbing with, you know, with the blinking. So anyway, and he reported that to Lynn. So that was the only place that Lynn knew of where we had them in Mississippi when, uh, you know, when we went on the air. And if I hadn't, uh, you know, been associated with Creature Comforts, we wouldn't have known what we were seeing because, you know, we got on the air and started talking about it. If you remember that first time and somebody told Lynn that we were talking about it on radio. So that's how we got to know her. So <laughs> Creature Comforts does work as a citizen science um, instigator. And uh, we'd like to do more of it if more, more listeners will let us know what they're seeing. Lynn, we've got about a minute left. We've mentioned your book, uh, Fireflies, glowworms, and lightning bugs. If you could give a quick idea of, of what's in there and where folks might be able to get a copy. Uh, you can, it's by University of Georgia Press. It is peer-reviewed but written for regular interested people. And uh, Amazon, frankly, is the easiest place to get it. Uh, you can get it at most bookstores, but just Google Fireflies, glowworms, and lightning bugs with my last name, Faust, F-A-U-S-T, 
and it will pop up. And, and thank you. And I cover over 60 species. It's almost a 400-page book with over 600 color photographs. And every, almost every species you've got in Mississippi is covered with a chapter that's usually about 10 pages, 5 to 10 pages long, dedicated to that species. There is one exception. There is a new species discovered in Mississippi at Waldoxy State Park, and I found it elsewhere in Mississippi now, um, and it was described after I published the book, but it's called the cypress firefly. And I want to just throw that out to your listeners. It has a completely unique flash, and it is found over the water in cypress swamps. It makes it a little tricky to find. But anyway, be be looking out on that and contact Libby if you see any of those. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and funding is provided in part by generous listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Lynn Faust, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.